sometimes when we read the scriptures, they can be a little jarring, can't they? They just don't, some passages don't, just don't always quite sit right with the way we've been brought up or with our views on the world or, or with the present realities of our experiences in the world. I mean, my generation has been taught from the start that you can do anything and that you have certain rights and no one can tell you otherwise. We've also had the feminist movement, which has brought with it great sense of, of freedom for, for women, um, but has it also been distorted from God's design? I don't know. Um, in certain aspects, all of life in parts has been distorted from God's design. And so when we read passages of scripture, when we first read them, sometimes they, they seem to grind against our worldviews and can be a bit jarring and unsettling. We would affirm and we, we believe that the Bible is the infallible word of God, that it is all God breathed and useful for, to training us in righteousness. We affirm its truth and trustworthiness. And we affirm that what the Bible teaches is God's best for humanity. But why do we still recoil at a couple of passages that seem to go against what we would say is the best wisdom for us? Colossians 3.18 Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Why does Paul write this? It seems so archaic to our modern world that wives are to submit to their husbands. I mean, I thought we'd move past this as a society from, from these sorts of barbaric points of view that women are just to submit to their husbands like they're somehow lower than their husbands or something. That is a sentiment I have heard expressed countless times, often associated with comments about Christianity being outdated and irrelevant in a modern world. And I know that for many of you ladies with us today that you have at times thought about this passage and either cringed been offended, questioned, disagreed with or maybe even ignored this verse because it doesn't seem right. I'm going to come back to this verse in a moment because I'm sure that there are other examples that each of us have where we've read scripture and it just hasn't sat well with us. Does Does the Bible really say that? Today as we cover the last part of Colossians and we conclude our series, I want to show how truly radical Paul's teaching is for us even today and how central Christ is to living a life filled with the hope of the gospel, a life that will be counter to predominant culture, a life that is different, a life that honours Jesus and that is filled with hope. So throughout chapters 3.18 and 4.1, Paul gives some really practical instructions for the various members of the Christian household. He addresses both wives and husbands, as well as children and slaves and masters. And you know what's truly significant as we start off here today? Is that Paul actually addresses each group directly. And this flies in the face of predominant culture of his day. So a first century Roman household was a household of hierarchy with the husband as the dominating ruler of the household. Everyone fell into line under him. But what Paul does by addressing each group directly is he brings equality to the household. If he was continuing the male domination of Roman household hierarchy, say that three times fast, uh, he would have only addressed the man. 
He would have told the man the instructions on what he needs to do to rule his household well. But he doesn't. And he even goes further because he addresses the wife first. Wives, submit your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, if he was writing this to fit in with a typical way of how a Roman household was run, it would have read, Wives, obey your husband as is your duty. That's not what it reads. That's not what he wrote. What Paul writes is very different. So Paul appeals to wives to submit to their husbands based on his conviction that men have been given the God-given leadership role in the family. And this is most prominently explained by Paul in his letter to the Ephesians, whereas we're in chapters 5 and verses 22 to 33, he gives a more detailed explanation. That's something you can look at for homework this week. In that passage, Paul again asks wives to submit to their husbands. So Paul affirms that both genders are created equal by God, as we are all created in the image of God and are heirs together of eternal life. But we are created with different roles. Paul explains household authority that just as Christ is the head and spiritual authority of the church, the husband is the spiritual authority over the wife and family. And the duty of the husband, get this, the duty of the husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Jesus, as the spiritual authority of the church, died for his bride, the church. That's a pretty big challenge for us husbands as the spiritual authority over our households. So husbands, we are to love our wives in a self-sacrificial manner, following the example of Christ. And clearly, the biblical picture of a husband laying down his life for his wife is directly opposed to any kind of male tyranny or oppression. You see, there was a tendency in the Roman world for men to rage bitterly against their wives and mistreat them. And sadly, we see this still occurring in society today. And because of a man's greater strength and louder voices, you know, men in, in sinful natures are, are prone to use harsh words, threats, unkindness and even physical violence to intimidate their wives. There is no room for even a hint of this in a Christian home because men are called to love their wives. The husband is bound by love to ensure that his wife finds marriage a source of rich fulfilment and joyful service to the Lord. And Paul reiterates this theme of husband loving their wives in Colossians as well. He says in verse 19, the very next verse, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now I'm sure that if husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church, if if we as husbands are self-sacrificing in our love towards our wives, then they will gladly want to submit to our loving and godly spiritual authority as it will be an abundant blessing to them. So really the greatest challenge being issued by Paul towards husbands and wives is actually to us husbands to be the kind of spiritual leaders of our family that naturally engenders glad submission. And you know, in in Ephesians, in that passage in chapter 5 of Ephesians, 
Paul spends nine verses addressing the husband's role and responsibility to his family and only addresses three to, to, to the wives. So it's imperative for a healthy family that we as fathers and husbands honour the role of spiritual leadership that God has given us by being men that are worthy of that calling. And then I can guarantee you, if we are men that are honouring God, then our wives won't even have to submit. It'll just come naturally because they're actually submitting to Christ's godly authority through us. Colossians 3.20 says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Sorry. Children, (laughs) obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Do you think they heard? Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Paul addresses children directly, again affirming their equality as they too are made in the image of God. And children are told to obey their parents for this pleases the Lord and it has pleased the Lord for thousands of years. You know, this was even written in stone by the Lord himself on the tablets that he handed to Moses. And it's the only commandment that comes with a blessing if upheld and it will go well with you. And Paul then turns his attention to slaves. In addressing slaves, Paul is not commending or approving of slavery. He is merely setting out godly guidelines because in the first century, you were either a producer or a farmer, feeding yourself and maybe trading or selling your excess. You, you plied a trade. Paul himself was a tent maker. But if you had no land and had no trade then it wasn't like today where you could just go out and get a job. It wasn't that easy. And so you had an option. Either try and get some sort of traineeship and try and you know, work for somebody if you could, but really the backstop was pretty much you always had the option of becoming a slave. And what did that mean? Being a slave meant that you had to have certain things provided for you. You had to be fed, you had to be clothed, and you had to be provided lodging. So in one way, it was pretty much the welfare system of the time. Instead of being poor and useless, you could always become a slave and survive by working for somebody else. Does that sound like anything today? It's a job. Pretty much it is. We now work to... and in return are given a wage which then funds our food, clothing and lodging. But the, the difference was, the difference was for most slaves and I guess hopefully not for most employees, that slaves were treated very harshly. So hopefully you don't experience that in your, your employee and where you work. So in three, chapter 3 verses 22 and 25, Paul writes this, he says, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleases, but within, with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done and there is no partiality. 
Can you imagine how countercultural this would be for slaves to actually work with joy because they're working for the Lord? Like this is radical teaching that Paul is giving because slaves were supposed to basically fight against their masters because they were being oppressed the whole time and so they were just butting heads and you would work what you had to work or just enough so that you didn't get whipped or beaten or whatever, but you didn't do it joyfully, you did it begrudgingly. Like I know a lot of people do their work begrudgingly, but they did it with joy. This is what the teaching is so radical that Paul is giving. See, Paul treated slaves with dignity. People that rarely were treated with dignity, Paul treated them with dignity. And he appeals to them directly to honour Christ in their hearts, work and behaviour. Paul knows that Philemon was a wealthy Colossian who benefited from slaves because he sent Onesimus back to Philemon with a letter. We've got that letter. So while recognising that both slaves and masters were present in the church in Colossae, he doesn't write to abolish slavery. He writes so that the way slaves were treated and the way slaves treated their work were vastly different in the Christian household when compared to predominant culture. And so we ask slaves to work heartily, not to please their masters, but really to please God and to work as if they were working for the Lord completely applicable to us today because these same principles apply to those of us who work for a wage as well. In Colossians 4.1 he says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly knowing that you also have a master in heaven. See, they would have known what it is to be a master. There are privileges that go with being a master. You say jump. They're supposed to say how high. You say do this. They say yes, sir. And so masters would know the power that comes with their position. And what Paul is saying here is, again, very radical and very counter to their culture. He's saying treat them justly and fairly. And the reason why? You too have a master. That's right. And so in addressing masters directly, he goes against predominant culture and the way slaves were being treated. Remember, justly and fairly. That would have been completely foreign, a completely foreign concept to Roman slave owners of the first century. And again, the picture of submission comes into play here. Submitting to godly authority as masters. This ultimately helps sow the seeds for an eventual dismantling of the structures in place that even allowed slavery to occur. Paul's teaching is so counter to predominant culture. Yet there are things about his teaching that at first glance do sometimes almost seem offensive. Yet we can trust that God has it all under control. He has created this world. He has set an order about this world that if we honour the order that he has set, it will go well for us. God's best, we affirm, is the best for us. And so in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, he says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, 
being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul calls all Christians to a lifestyle of constant prayer. And like Jesus when he said in Mark 14:38 to watch and to pray, we too should be watchful in our prayer and to keep it fresh by maintaining a perspective of thankfulness so that our prayers don't fall into being mere selfish pleading to have our desires fulfilled. Rather, we should be praying for others and praying for the will of the Father to be done. And we should always be praying that God would continue to open doors for the message of hope that is found in the gospel to be proclaimed. And it was great to hear the update from the Barneses in Cambodia and other work that missionaries are doing all over the globe. We should be praying for success of their gospel endeavours and we should be praying for our church leaders as well. We should also be praying for the BUV and the leaders of the Baptist movement here in Victoria. You know, there's a meeting coming up later in October that we should be particularly praying for. It's the members' dinner and AGM, I believe. They've brought to us the topic of discussion for this gathering and that topic is climate change and should we as a movement declare a climate emergency and advocate for climate justice, whatever that means. I think we know where we stand on this issue as we've clearly seen in this book of Colossians what the Bible teaches, that in Christ he is in control of all things. By him all things hold together and so in your prayers it might be valuable for you to uphold this meeting and the decisions made following these discussions that they would choose to affirm the authority and sovereignty of Christ over creation rather than get swept up by what the world is screaming on this issue at present and not to add to the anxiety being stoked by climate alarmists and instead point people to the true source of peace and love and contentment, the Lord Jesus Christ. But it does raise the question of how we are to interact with the world, how we're to interact with predominant culture on issues such as climate change. Paul finishes his instruction in this letter with some really good wisdom for for this as we go forward as well. In Colossians 4 verses 5 to 6 he says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So Paul's encouragement is to manifest a powerful and attractive testimony to non-Christians. His statement of being seasoned with salt reminds me of Christ's words in the Gospels about being the salt of the earth and, and about being salt and light. And when applied to conversation, the metaphor suggests speaking in an interesting, stimulating and wise way. There's a few important things to note about salt. You know, salt changes what it comes into contact with. If you don't believe me, put some on your ice cream tonight after tea. 
Salt also, it, it enhances flavour. There's nothing better than rubbing a good amount of salt on a steak, flipping it over, nice good bit of salt on the other side, and then slapping that bad boy on a hot grill to get that salt to draw the liquid out and to caramelise and give you that nice tasty crust on that steak. Ooh, nice medium rare. You just chop it up. Salt enhances flavour. It really does. It is also a preservative. It preserves things so that they are still useful and edible for a long time. So Paul wants us to season our interactions with those outside the family of God with salt. He wants us to be preserved in our faith and obedience to the Lord rather than do away with our convictions and capitulate to predominant culture. He wants us to enhance the conversations that we have with people who don't have a saving faith in Jesus Christ, that maybe we might be able to lead them to think about the deeper things of faith and of life. And he wants us to be agents of change in predominant culture rather than being changed by predominant culture. And here Paul's comments, they assume the Colossian believers are vitally involved in the local community and have ample opportunities to interact with outsiders in a way that would commend the gospel to them. That is one reason I am part of the Wangaratta Concert Band and apparently very shortly will be also president of the Wangaratta Concert Band. Anyway, that's another story. But but really, that that's one reason, because I need to be vitally involved in the local community, as do us all, all believers should be. We should all be vitally involved in our local community so that we do have the relationships and the opportunity to share the message of hope in the gospel that is found in Jesus Christ. And I believe that the testimony that we take with us as we live God-honouring lives in our God-honouring households, as Paul has just described, where, where each of us are in glad submission to Christ and fulfilling our calling together as a family, we will take that testimony with us and as we interact with people who are part of predominant culture and we are different, that will be speaking volumes and will bring the hope of the gospel with us by living a life that honours Christ, that submits to his authority, and as we live lives that are seasoned with salt and bring the hope of the gospel with us to those parts of our lives and to those people we meet in different areas of the community. That's really, I think, one of the most important things for us to grasp. If we do not have contact with people in our community that are unsaved, how are we going to fulfil the call of Christ to go and make disciples? if we're not vitally involved in community, what are you a part of? That you can bring the hope of the gospel with you and that you can add the seasoning, the salt. we're, We're called to be different. We are not called to be exactly the same as everybody else in predominant culture because our predominant culture is not Christian. The religion of our world is climate change at the moment. We're called to be different. We are called to be holy. What does that word holy mean? Set apart unto God. That's what we're called to be. It doesn't mean that we're called to set ourselves apart from the world and just live in a Christian bubble. It means we're to be set apart and to live a life that honours Christ and going into the world and to salt the world, to bring the flavour of the gospel. 
The letter to the Colossians finishes with Paul's regular final greetings and a, and a few personal instructions. And I find that those are things you can probably read at home. And, and, and so finishes our series in Colossians, The Hope of Glory. And I end our series today by helping us see how the instructions that Paul gives to us for how our Christian households are to be run in a way that brings glory to God is indeed different to predominant culture. We don't have to be ashamed of the Bible and what it says. It is not out of date. It gives instructions for us on how to live a life and live in a family and community in a manner which honours the Lord and reflects his best for us. We are called to be people who are holy, who are people who are set apart unto God. We are called to walk in our new self, having killed off our old self. We are called to walk in a manner worthy of our calling and let no one disqualify us. We are called to make known the mystery of God, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory. And we are called to bring the hope of the gospel to our world. Christ created the world and sustains the world and as head of the church has given us the mandate to make his glorious deeds known. So today as we go out into our regular lives, living amongst predominant culture, how are you going to be salt in your interactions with the people in your life? How are you going to be vitally involved in our community so that we can bring the hope of the gospel to the northeast? You know, this afternoon I'm heading off to a concert with the concert band and it's a combined one with Sing Australia at the Cathedral. It's my first time in there. It'll be interesting. Um, you know, vitally involved in community. It takes time. Do you think I've got a million other things I'd prefer to be doing this afternoon? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, I do. A lot of things I'd prefer to do, but I'm there because I'm vitally involved in community. I'm bringing that flavour of salt to that band and it's great there's a few other Christians there too so it's really encouraging and maybe if you aren't involved in a community group of some description maybe today's the day to determine to join one we've all got hobbies we all have things that interest us me it's music you know and that's why it works with a band if you don't have musical talent it won't work with a band but why not join a club or a group and become vitally involved in that group so that you are interacting with our community and can bring the hope of the gospel as you salt that group with your presence, as you take Jesus Christ in you, with you, the hope of glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today we thank you for the instructions that Paul has given us for our households. Lord, they're very practical. In many ways they seem to be fairly easy, but Lord, I pray that you would give us the ability to achieve what you have um, written in your word towards our households. Because, Lord, our households, are, are, the way we run them in, in glad submission to the authority of Christ is different to our world. And, Lord, we are called to be different to our world. We are called to be salt. Lord, we are called to season our conversations with outsiders to bring your wisdom. And so, Lord, I pray that as we go about our day-to-day lives and our general business and things that, Lord, the, the hobbies and the passions that you've planted within us, we would be able to use those so that we are vitally involved in our community and that we can bring you who are in us with us and that, Lord, people might come to know you through the testimony of our lives. 
So Lord, I pray that you would help us be vitally involved in, in our community and that you'd encourage us to continue to love those around us and to bring the hope of the gospel with us. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.